Well, hello. I'm so glad to see all of you. Thank you for coming back for another week of sisterhood and this awesome curriculum of the unseen journey. We have been talking lately about the middle, and that is the space between when we find a promise that God declares and promises to us, and um, we will then journey onto that place of fulfillment of the promise. And there's this large space in between that we've been talking about as the middle. And the truth is that the middle is a battleground, actually. And what do people do on a battleground? They battle. So welcome to lesson six, which is called spiritual warfare. Now, for some, when you hear the phrase spiritual warfare, you might, ooh, ah, spiritual warfare. We're going to think about shouting at the devil, and we're going to think about screaming the name of Jesus, and we're going to pace, and we're going to beat our Bibles around, and we're going to get sweaty, you know. And it's just not really necessarily the truth. Um, It's important that we acknowledge we can have passion and anger against the enemy, but what we do with that needs to be in line with Scripture. Amen? All right? And so God doesn't actually instruct us to sweat and pace and scream. In fact, he offers us rest in this place called the middle. As we engage in the battle, we are also able to rest in his promises. So we're going to talk about this today by studying what the Word of God says about spiritual warfare. Is that okay? Everybody ready? The first thing to understand is that the battle takes place in the mind, not in circumstances. And while we may use phrases like, I am fighting cancer, or I am warring against depression, the truth is that these statements really tell us more about our natural circumstances than anything else. And as we learned from Pastor Becca last week, we want to be more aware of the unseen world than we are of the seen natural world. In other words, we want to get focused, remember this? and stay focused on God and what he has to say. Because the battle really isn't in your body. The battle really isn't in your finances or in your particular circumstance. Really, the real war is waged against what God says about your body. The war is waged against what God says about your finances or any other circumstance. If you remember the equation that I presented to you from lesson three, God's word plus faith equals the fulfilled promise. And we know that God's word is unchanging, it is unalterable, it is established. In order to arrive at a fulfillment of the promise, the the variable, if you will, is this presence of faith, okay? And the devil knows this. And so he makes it his number one strategy, his number one aim to remove faith from the equation. He tries to knock you and me out of a place of believing God because he knows that without the presence of faith, the equation is incomplete and we will live as if the promise isn't true even though it is true, but we're not going to walk in the manifested promise because there's no faith. And we know that Israel experienced this very thing. God's people stood on the threshold of their promised land. Hear the word, promised land. God promised it to them. They were right there, but yet they couldn't enter in. Why? Because the variable of faith was missing. They opted to not focus on what God said, but to focus on the natural report from the spies, the natural giants, all that they saw, and in fact, what it felt like to them. In Hebrews 4.2, we see the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. When the natural report 
collided with what God said, they had to make a decision. What would they believe? And really, thousands of years later, nothing has changed. Because today, each one of us has promises from God. God still today has promises for his children. They're good plans that he has for us. They're promises of provision, promises of health, promises of peace and protection, of redemption, peace, okay? God's children still, thousands of years later, have to contend with very natural circumstances that contradict those promises. Unexpected troubles, sickness, Terminated job, wayward children, we can run the whole list, right? We understand that there's a contradiction in this natural realm. So again, when the natural report contradicts what God himself promises, a decision must be made. Hmm. And let me tell you something, this decision, deciding to believe the report of the Lord and not the report of your natural circumstances, this decision is you engaging in spiritual warfare. Wow. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever applauded in the middle of a lesson. This is awesome. But it's something that we've got to lay hold on, church, right? If we're going to talk war, we're going to talk weapons. So first we'll talk about the enemy's weapon. We've covered this on many occasions up until this point in the curriculum. The only thing in Satan's arsenal are lies. Read it in John 8, 44. Talk about this. What exactly is a lie? A lie is a false statement deliberately presented as being true. A false statement deliberately presented as being true. A lie is also something meant to deceive. The purpose of a lie is to deceive or to give a wrong impression. And the Bible tells us that when we choose to accept as true what is contrary to the word of God, we deceive ourselves. In Galatians 6.3, the Bible says, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. See, we have to know that John 15.5 tells us, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So that's the truth. And if we're believing, I'm really something apart from him, I got this, I'm Christian, I can do this, I'm deceived. Because that thought does not line up with the word of God. In 1 John 1.8, it says this, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Again, Scripture in Romans 3.23 Romans 3, tells us that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That means I'm part of all. So for me to think, I don't have a sin problem, I don't ever sin, I'm deceiving myself. Because what I'm thinking does not line up with the word of God. Do you understand? You've seen this. When we deceive ourselves, what happens is this. We actually mislead our own minds. Doesn't that sound horrible? We cause ourselves to roam from safety and truth and virtue. By our own choice, we talk ourselves into going astray and thus end up in huge error. Christians are called to live by faith. That is, believing in God and all that he says. And part of that is keeping ourselves from being deceived. So how do we do this? I'll tell you how we do it. 
We do this by growing in our knowledge of the Word of God. Because the more you know the truth, the less apt you are to buy the lie. Amen? You understand? We have said this over and over, but we just cannot, we cannot repeat ourselves often enough. A casual knowledge of the Word of God is dangerous. We can't casually know the Word. Well, I sort of think that God said we can't afford that if we're going to be victorious Christians. Because here's why. The devil is subtle. He does not knock on your dresser in the morning and say, hey, pst, um, just so you know, I'm going to be lying to you today. So get ready. I mean, he just doesn't do that. He's subtle. And he couches his lies in a way that he tries so hard to make them appear true. It, he will appeal to what seems right to us. He appeals to our intellect through our reasoning, what makes sense. And he even appeals, and a lot of times, primarily appeals to what feels good. Because he knows we have this disposition that tends toward the flesh. Sometimes he'll even speak lies through the people that are closest to us. And this happened to Jesus. Look at Matthew 16, 21 through 23. We see here Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's explaining he's about to go to Jerusalem and he's going to be mistreated. In fact, he's going to suffer many things and ultimately be killed and then raised again. And Peter responds and says to him in verse 22, Peter takes him aside, imagine this, he takes Jesus aside, begins to rebuke him and says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. What in the world? Peter's refuting what Jesus had just said. Now granted, this news had to be so hard for Peter, right? I mean, he's hearing that his Jesus is about to suffer and be caused to die. But what Peter heard stirred in his emotion, and he allowed what he heard and how he felt to take precedence to trump the very word of Jesus himself. Satan used Peter to try and talk Jesus out of following God's will. And Jesus had a response. Jesus turns to Peter in verse 23 and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Do you hear? It's important that followers of Jesus Christ are mindful of the things of God. So be aware. Sometimes the enemy will speak his lie through those that are very close to us. Other times he'll speak to us through social media. Hmm? Or he'll speak to us via the news. He'll whisper his lies as we're watching CNN or whatever, whatever it is. He can speak lies even as we just casually observe the world around us and deduct things about what's going on and what everyone is doing. He uses a variety of strategies. But please, don't get stuck in or overwhelmed by the tactics of the enemy because we can't afford to overcomplicate things. Hear this. Write it down. Truth defeats lies. Truth defeats lies. God's very word, his truth, brings us freedom from the tactics and bondages of the enemy. Jesus said in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth, say it with me, shall make you free. So in looking at the enemy's weapon, that is of lying, we've actually discovered one of our own weapons, and that is the truth. Amen? The truth, the word of God. What a powerful, powerful weapon. Let's look now at what else is in our arsenal. 
In Ephesians 6, Paul writes about the armor of God. Excuse me, Ephesians 6, 11, he tells us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice it's not the might of the devil, it's not the strength of the devil, it's the wiles of the devil. This is not a word that we use too often. The word wiles means deceitful strategies. Mm -hmm. You're hearing a theme. He uses deceitful strategies or tricks done in a seductive manner. So this armor of God, this spiritual weaponry, protects us from the devil's attempt to deceive and trick our minds. In Ephesians 6.12, he goes on to say, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Someone needs to hear this today. People are not our enemy. Your boss, your neighbor, your mother-in-law or whatever. I mean, it, we, look, we look incorrectly when we see the enemy as human being. Okay? It goes on to say, we battle, we wrestle against principalities, against powers, the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The battle takes place against rulers of darkness in the realm of the spirit. And therefore, to contend effectively, we put on our spiritual armor. Of course, it's not shining armor that falls from heaven that makes us you know, walk like this, as in the Middle Ages. It's not natural armor. It's spiritual armor. Paul tells us to take up or to put on the whole armor of God. Because as we do this, we are reminded, minded, we are reminded, we think about the victory that's already been won for us by Jesus Christ. Hmm? So quickly, the six pieces of armor, the helmet of salvation, reminds us that the truth is we are saved and we are healed and we have been delivered and protected. Secondly, we have the breastplate of righteousness. It covers the heart. And that breastplate reminds us that our hearts are right with God. Why? Because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross. Third, the belt of truth reminds us what the word of God says. His word holds us all together, if you will. Fourth, our shoes of peace remind us that we walk not out of step one moment from his presence. Everywhere we go, he is with us. And those boots of peace remind us of that truth. Our shield of faith quenches every fiery dart that is a lie, that is his scheme, we stand behind faith, which says, I believe God in what he says. Those darts cannot penetrate. And finally, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. That is our offensive weapon, our spoken word of God. That's when we do what Jesus did. When the devil tempted him and tested him, we say, it is written, and then declare the promise that we are heading toward on our journey. Amen? I'm going to have a drink just real quickly. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, Paul explains more about our fight of faith. He says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. First point, we do not war according to the flesh. Just as our enemy is not a human being, we are not in war with our circumstances. Remember that whatever trial you're, you're experiencing, whatever sickness has been thrown on you, the problem has already, say already, been defeated by Jesus. 
when he hung on the cross 2,000 years ago and he said, it is finished, he meant you have every victory you could ever need. I have purchased it for you. Hallelujah. Secondly, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The word carnal means of the flesh, meaning the weapons that we use can't be generated in and of ourselves. We can't muster up, conjure up enough strength to battle. In our humanness, we try to do so. We muster up our solutions, and we try and try and come up with something in and of ourselves, you know? All the methods that we deal with or deal try to grab for or um, to use to deal with our pain, distractions, busyness. We just load the calendar so we don't have to think about things, you know? We might turn towards substances. Whatever the drug of choice, whatever the human remedy, it is not effective. God wants us to set these things aside and use what he gives us instead. He tells us that our spiritual weapons are for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, strongholds is just a fancy way to say an established lie. A stronghold is a lie that's been established. It's a lie that you've believed, knowingly or unknowingly. I'm hoping that you're hearing this constant theme. God does not want for us to live in anything but the truth. The truth. The uncompromised truth. And he tells us, identify the lie and pull it down. The lie that says, I'm not good enough. The lie that says, I deserve to be abused. The lie that says, um, this sickness is probably going to kill me. Whatever lie you're hosting, it is not what God says. And he says, pull it down. We are to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's just a fancy way to say whatever's arguing with the word of God needs to be brought under the word of God, be put into submission to what God says. High things that exalt themselves, they come up against what God says, they challenge what God says, identify them and pull them down. Make them come into obedience and submission to what Jesus tells us. Get in alignment with God's word. Once again, and then again, over and over. Amen? Now, casting down arguments can also be translated casting down imaginations. What a gift he's given us with an imagination. But I'll tell you that we can use our imaginations properly and picture and meditate on what God says. We can also be brought into using our, excuse me, our imaginations improperly. Yes, we can picture things that are contrary to what God says. Ladies, Joshua 6.2, we've talked about it again and again. Let's be like him. Who saw what God said. He saw what God said, despite how it looked in the natural. In that moment when God explained, I've given you the city, he had a decision to make. Do I believe what I see in the natural, that the walls are still fortified? Or do I believe what God is telling me to be true? We're going to make it real. Perhaps you've been on the couch for two weeks, sick. Hmm? You've been aware of God's promise, and you're on your way to the fulfillment of the promise, but you're not yet experiencing healing. And on the way to the fulfilled promise, you're experiencing and contending with symptoms. You're coughing. You're having aches and pains. You're having a fever. And right there, a friend calls. 
While you're in the middle, the friend says to you, you know, the flu can easily lead to pneumonia. A lot of people are dying from the flu that leads to pneumonia this year. And now your friend loves you. And your friend doesn't think anything of what she said. She's not trying to discourage you. And yet, right there, you have a decision to make. In your middle, do you meditate and imagine yourself getting worse, landing in the hospital, and in a casket? I mean, or do you lie there trusting what God said, that by his stripes you were healed 2,000 years ago, and that God is the God that forgives your sins and heals your diseases? You understand? This is the middle. Right there in the middle, you're engaging in spiritual warfare by deciding with whom you will believe. And you know what? As you believe your God and cast down arguments and imaginations that are not in line with what God says, you find rest because you're fully trusting in his promises. Worship is a weapon. Matthew 21, we read the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the kids are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna! And they're, I can just see them gleefully singing and skipping, right? And the religious leaders were indignant. They were angry about this and they pull Jesus aside and they say, uh, do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus says, yes, I, I do. Have you never read that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you've per perfected praise? See, Jesus was saying, you guys should know this is in Psalm 8 too. What's happening here is actually a fruition of what you've already memorized. And when Jesus said, out, uh, when he was referring, he was referring to this Psalm 8 too, which says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. And because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avengers. See, now when Jesus quoted Psalm 8 too, he substituted the words perfected praise for ordained strength. Follow me here. So what we can deduct is perfected praise is equal to ordained strength. Take out the adjectives. Praise is equal to strength. And Psalm 8.2 tells us what this strength is for. It says the strength that we have in praising God is to silence the enemy. Hmm? So if we put it all together, we know that praise is equal to strength. And strength silences the enemy. That means that when you and I praise God, we can't hear the lies of the enemy. Somebody do a whoop hallelujah. All right? I'm telling you, why do we not praise him more often? You think you need a worship band? You don't need a worship band to praise the Lord. You can praise the Lord washing your dishes. You can praise the Lord doing your pedicure. You can praise the Lord driving your car, sitting in a parking lot. Hallelujah. So often I hear the Lord whisper to me, Kristen, come up a little higher. And he's referring to a moment in my time with him long ago. In Isaiah 40, verse 9, it says, O oh, you who bring good tidings to Zion, get up to the high mountain. So often I hear him whisper to me, Kristen, get up. David wrote psalms of ascent, that is a getting up, a coming up to the place of God through praise and worship. We can get up to a high place that is out of reach of the enemy, and it's accessed to, through worship. Amen. Don't say to me, Kristen, I don't really feel like worshiping. There's a sacrifice of praise. We step over the want to, and we just choose to do it because it's what the Bible tells us. I love you, I'm just saying, okay? Another key to spiritual warfare is remember that we have a refuge. Think about when an army goes to battle. They always have a refuge, a place in which, in which to seek protection from danger, a place in which to be energized and equipped to go out and continue 
Ladies, children of God, we have a refuge. He is our refuge. Psalm 61.3, David says, You have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. There is no safer place than under the shadow of Almighty God. And we can run not just to him, but in, into him. How do we do this? It's just like we would put on our spiritual armor. We do it by faith. We imagine what God says. We see ourselves within his presence, okay? We see what is not discerned by our natural senses, but what is discerned by our spiritual eyes instead. In Psalm 91, David describes this beautiful hiding place. And I want to invite you to practice his presence. I want to invite you to close your eyes and enter into the shelter of the Lord as I read portions of this. Just see yourself engaging with him. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty whose power no foe can withstand. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress and my God, and on him I lean and rely, and in him I confidently trust. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, and the Most High, your dwelling place. Can you see yourself protected by him? There shall no evil befall you, nor any plague or calamity come near your tent. For he will give his angels, do you see them? Special charge over you to accompany and defend and preserve you. Because you have set your love upon me, God says, therefore will I deliver you, my daughter. I will set you on high because you know and understand my name. You have personal knowledge of my mercy, my love, my kindness. You trust and rely upon me, knowing I will never forsake you, no, never. You shall call upon me, and I will answer you, and I will be with you in trouble, and I will deliver you, and I will honor you. And with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. Oh, the refuge of God. This is where he asks us to live. In conclusion, you can open your eyes. Let me encourage you. God has you in a really great place today. He is equipping you to live in the victory that he has for you. The final verse of this lesson comes from 1 Peter 5.8. I want to encourage you with it. Be sober, it says. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't just go around devouring everyone. We give him too much credit when we say that. He seeks whom he may devour. He goes around trying to figure out who's devourable. Hmm? Let's just declare right now, Satan may not devour us. Amen? We are not devourable. You know why? Because we are women of God who know the word of God. We are students of the word of God. We know his love and his good character because we are well acquainted with him. And we are those who remain in the secret place, who wear God's armor and remind ourselves we already have the victory we reject thoughts that are not in line with his truth 
and we worship and praise him often. Amen? We decide to believe God's word no matter what and to walk on through the middle into his fulfilled promises for his glory and for our good. Amen? This is spiritual warfare. Hallelujah. Amen, amen.